It's time for the big show with Andy Gallo and Country Jim. I'm Andy Gallo. And I'm Country Jim. And our guest is Dennis Digby. He was with uh, Loretta Lynn for about 20 years. He's one of the coal miners. And Dennis, uh, glad to have you on the show, man. Uh, good to be here. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm really uh, excited about it because uh, I've known uh, Dennis and uh, his daughter and son-in-law uh, for, uh, for a long time. They're kind of a part of the family with me. And, uh, and we've had them on the show. Yes, we have. We've had uh, all those folks, and I've really been wanting to get Dennis on here, and uh, and have him tell uh, tell his story. Uh, Dennis, uh, you uh, were born over in South Georgia somewhere. Tell about your folks and your early years. Well, I was born uh, a little town called Covington, Georgia, which is about. 40 miles southeast of Atlanta, uh, down Interstate 20, and uh, that's where I went to high school. And uh, uh, just like a lot of pickers I've got to know over the years, you know, uh, uh, it, it was a great place to grow up. And, and uh, you've done a lot of playing. By the time I was a teenager, about 13, 14, started playing in a band around Atlanta, you know, the biggest place to play. And... Uh, uh, probably mostly bluegrass for a while, and then it got into country. And as I got a little older, and uh, finally a, a guy that that was kind of followed us around a lot, uh, you know, pretty well said had a couple of big businesses in Atlanta. And anyway, he bought a club for us to play in there, and so we put a swing band together and uh, played there for you know up until several years because I was going through high school, and then. Um, uh, the the guy that was fronting the band worked for WPLO radio station, which is the biggest station in Atlanta, and he just happened to be married he to a guy named Smiley Wilson who lived in Nashville. It worked for Hayes Jones Talent Agency, a booking agency that booked Ernest Tubb and and uh, Bobby Bear and a guy named Mel Tillis. It just had one album out. And, Mm -hmm. He'd always done writing, and so he was trying to put a band together, and so we wound up, I wound up traveling with Mel for when I was about 16, him doing dates and stuff, and that was kind of where my connections started. So, time that, I, And that was before the State Siders? Or, oh, yeah, this was yeah. way, way before State Siders. He had one album out. Okay. Yeah. Had, had one white rhinestone suit and one pair of white boots <laughs> <laughs> sit on the side of the bed and polished them every day oh wow That's oh he good. was great yeah he was great yeah. just full of energy as anybody mm -hmm. could be and he'd already been a, he'd always been a songwriter to that point mm -hmm. well known already had a lot of big songs as you well know and mm -hmm. uh but he was you know he was great to work for and it was a big mm -hmm. training platform for me making the step up from being a local guy and had a hard time making it back home Monday morning to catch first period in high school a lot of times, but I, I don't know I don't know how I made it, but I did. Now, Dennis, you played both upright bass and bass guitar, right? Right. right. Uh, so you, when you were playing bluegrass, it was probably upright bass. Uh, some of it was. I, I, I bought an upright bass when I was about fourteen, and. Uh, 
time I, I, I didn't play it but just a few years and yeah. uh, it tried to play it in clubs and stuff like that you know but it was just uh, an upright bass is, is a kind of instrument to play it like you need to play it mm-hmm. and to make it sound like it was built to sound you you have you can't pick it up once in a while and play it you got to play that sucker a lot the, the the question I always have for somebody that plays the upright bass <clears throat> how do you travel with that thing well huh i mean what <laughs> helps you, to have a, helps to have a bus there you go <laughs> Hey, uh, our trailer, yeah, uh, by itself of its <laughs> right, own, right? So, uh, after Mel, uh-huh. did what came next? Was it the Osborne brothers, or was it Tex Ritter? Or? When I graduated from high school, uh, I went to Nashville the next day. I had yeah. a place to go, and already knew a lot of people there, and had a job to go to, and. And, uh, you know, it wasn't a big job. It was enough for me at that age, you know, to uh, there were several boarding houses there in Nashville, Mm -hmm. just within walking distance of the Opry. Yeah. So there was a lot of guys, you know, roomed in the same house that were working with Opry acts and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. you had to make all those connections. Mm -hmm. Can you to get known? Uh, one some, thing I want you to do on this podcast uh-huh. is uh, really do a lot of name dropping. Because, <laughs> oh, buddy, buddy, you've got names to drop. Yeah. Let me just oh, tell you. Well. Do you remember back <clears throat> any of those early guys at the other guys at the boarding house? Oh, sure. Uh, every time I think about that place, it comes to mind. Greg Galbraith was in the room next to I, myself and Larry Sasser, a steel player that we went to Nashville with. And Larry wound up going to work for uh, Dale Reeves on the Opry. And another guy that came with us that was also rooming with us was a drummer named Rusty Duke. And Rusty went to work. He and Larry both went to work with uh, Dale Reeves, who was in the Opry all the time. And a lot of times Dale would come over to the house, to the rooming house, and like change clothes and stuff like that because the Opry was only just – Across the interstate from where we was at, you could actually walk to it. But yeah, it was an active place. Uh, Greg Galbraith was in the room next to mine, and uh, matter of fact, we had to share a bathroom. <laughs> and, and, Wait a minute, is it now that how Dell got that doo doo doo? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Did, right. Um, a lot of doodly doos in, in that house, but uh, at that time, Greg. <clears throat> was playing with uh, uh, George Hamilton the Fourth mm. on the Opry, and he left George after about a year and went to work with uh, Skeeter Davis and well, people like that. Yeah. And then upstairs was a guy named Dale Sellers, who, who was a left-handed guitar player. At that time, he was a Pete Drake protege. He went to the studios when Pete had a recording session and would set up st- Pete's steel guitar. And Dale wound up being one of the top session players in Nashville for about 20 years wow. and uh, worked on the A-team for a long time. He was a monster guitar player. And uh, Any of those guys still with us? Uh, all of them are. Wow. All of them are. Dale left after he got tired of the session scene in nashville and he left and took a break he went to work for wayne newton and worked mm-hmm. with and that's where he stayed 
till he got ready to retire and he retired and he moved out not far from me where I lived outside of Nashville in an area called Bellevue and I didn't even know he was living down there and we happened to run into each other one day and and he it started his, his own business, uh, something to do with fishing lures or something like that. And he was in all the mm-hmm. magazines and stuff like that. And I, and we didn't talk music very much. And then I, I told him, I said, you need to get that guitar out from under that bed and start again. So I stayed on him and he finally did that. Got it out and hadn't played in about five years and got just went right back and picked up where he left off. And, that's that's great. Wow. But, uh, wow. you know, there was some steel players. Neil Flange was one and um, wound up working with him. And, and next door was a place that's historical house next door to ours. It was Mom, up, Mom up Church's house. And that was a place where everybody lived there from Fair and Young to Carl Smith, to, uh, um, uh, Ray Price. I mean, it just right. it, a list goes on. Mm-hmm. And the house, as of two years ago, was put on the National Historical Registry there mm-hmm. in Nashville, and it's wow. part of a That's tourist good. stop now. That's great. Yeah, so, it is good. I went to the Nashville way back then and uh, stayed at the old Davis Hotel. Oh yeah, I think we had to pay five dollars a night to stay yeah. there. <laughs> well, I, I, my was a, room was a long time. My ago, room and yeah. board there was eight bucks a week. Yeah, <laughs> eight bucks a week and all the mischief you could get into. Yeah, and there was a lot of that. But okay, let's put some dates with that. So you graduated from high school, so that was the next year. So that would have been about nineteen sixty, late sixty eight, and then early sixty nine. I went to work for Tex Ritter. That was my first Opry guy, and stayed with Tex about a year, and that was educational, you know, because he'd been one of my cowboy heroes when I was a kid, mm-hmm. seeing those old oh yeah westerns, <clears throat> and um, so uh, from there I went to work with uh, Charlie Lubin, and uh, worked with Charlie about a year mm-hmm. and a half, something like that, and. Now, Ira hadn't been passed away all that long at that point. Yeah, had Ira, he'd been dead a few years. Yeah. yeah. And Charlie had already made a, a way for himself mm-hmm. as a solo act and had mm-hmm. several big it's, records yes. at that time. So. Yes. Now, did he have a bus? Uh, yes, he did. He had a bus. One of the few, actually, at that time. Yeah. You wouldn't have thought it, but thank goodness he had a bus. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, you know, he had that monster song, See the Big Man Cry, you See know. The, he had See the Big Man Cry. Yeah. That was big at that yeah, time yeah, still. Absolutely. Uh, it is, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, don't love you, I don't love you anymore. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I don't love you anymore. Oh, yeah. What are those things with big black, black wings? Yeah. There you go, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, which, and I played on that record and a couple of more and sang on them. But we, and I can't remember the group, but at some point after that song come out, there was some kind of heavy rock group covered Big Black Wings. I, I can't really? remember who it wow. was. No. I just wasn't into rock and roll. So, yeah. so yeah. you got to play on those in the studio, not just... Uh, some of them, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I did some studio work and then yeah. steadily got more as, you know, yeah. the years went on. I want to talk about that more a little bit later. Sure. But then, so who comes next? Sonny and Bob? Uh, uh, David Houston next. Oh, okay. And worked with David about a year and a half and... Uh, you know, had to move on from that. Uh, got offered a job from 
from the Osbournes. Yeah. From there. And yeah. uh, uh, did all of their recordings. I did three albums with them and uh, was there for about two and a half years. So what would you rather do, play country or play uh, bluegrass? Uh, well, I like them both. Um uh, you know, down where I'm from, you know, uh, uh, at that time, it was mostly bluegrass mm-hmm. down in that area. Mm-hmm. But you know, there, there was a time, too, and I think we've talked about this on the show before, that bluegrass and country, there was just real fine line. Right. Especially in the early 50s and, oh, yeah. and 60s, a lot of that stuff just, it had such a fine line that you really didn't de- identify it so much as bluegrass. It was just, it was right. hillbilly. Hillbilly music sure. a lot of times, you right. know. So, and yeah. a lot of a lot of people wasn't into it that that much, but a lot of people there was more of it played than people realized. It just didn't mm-hmm. get a lot of airplay. There was a lot right. of it being done, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it hadn't yeah. the popularity yet. It hadn't gone. Of course, at that time, that was pre any kind of internet and cable television mm-hmm. or anything like that. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. well, um, when you come to the late fifties and sixties. Bluegrass just wasn't getting the airplay that that country music was, but on the package show and in the Opry. I mean, uh, Monroe was on the Opry. Right. Uh, there were a number of uh, were Flat and Scruggs ever actually on the Opry? I think. They, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, Flat and Scruggs was probably, to my knowledge, uh, the first bluegrass group actually to have their own television show and. Yeah. Everybody I knew, mm-hmm. including myself, wouldn't miss it, yeah. you know, because that mm-hmm. that was about all the bluegrass yeah. that you could get unless you listened to, you know, the opera, mm-hmm. listen to the radio, which I did religiously mm-hmm. every Saturday night. Yeah. And Well, I wish I had come up and uh, introduced myself and uh, talked to you a little bit, but in 1972, I was living in Charleston, South Carolina, uh-huh. and every... Uh, Every Thanksgiving weekend, uh, the Martin guy, whatever his name was, he had a bunch of really big bluegrass festivals. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jimmy he, Martin, is that who you talking about? No, this no, no, guy no. Was another you're talking about Carlton okay. Haney. Well, he was a promoter like Haney, but that uh, that uh, Myrtle Beach festival was done by Martin, I think, whatever, Bill Martin or something. But anyway, mm-hmm. you probably need to delete. Mr. Martin to you. You can delete all of this. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I went there to the festival, and uh, the Osbournes were on that festival. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, Bobby announced at one point in the show, he said, uh, "He said our uh, bass player, this young fellow from Georgia, is in the band, uh, and he they would let other people in the band do a song or something." And uh, so he had Dennis sing. That rock and roll song, Rolling on the River. Oh, Proud Mary. <laughs> Proud Mary, yeah. Then he sang Proud Mary. Well, I, I got it. That was Sonny Osborne's idea, not mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but uh, uh, they, carried, they carried a full set of drums. Yes, we did. Bobby's son, Robbie, right. played a full kit. And you got a lot of bluegrass purists who mm-hmm. will say sometimes that the drums have no place in bluegrass. Right. But really, there were several acts back then that did have drums. And, and I talked to Sonny about it in the last few years, and and Sonny said they did catch some grief from some bluegrass people. Oh, we caught for, a lot of grief. Yeah. We caught a lot of grief because we would close all those festivals, and we carried our own sound system, had mm-hmm. a trailer 
the for the sound system alone. I mean, it was a big mm. system, and yeah, you know, yeah. when he hired me, he said we're going to change change the game, and so everybody run to, uh, was electrified on top of billion yeah. Yeah. acoustic yeah. instruments. Yeah, they were mm-hmm. had pickups on. They all had pickups. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, we were just uh, plus they ran. Was, they had a steel uh, too, occasionally, didn't they? Recording. Well, when we recorded, we used two steels. Okay, Hal Rugg and Weldon Myrick both, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. Leon Rhodes on guitar. All a a team players, you know, studio players, mm-hmm. and uh, it cooked. But mm-hmm. not on the road. You never. No, not on, on the road. road. Just didn't. No. You know. Yeah. Um. Uh, just just couldn't do it on on the road and um well was it after the osbournes that you decided that uh, uh the road life wasn't really what you wanted so you got off the road and did some recording yeah studio i session started work? doing uh, more sessions and uh for a couple of years and uh, trying to make make up decide what i wanted to do because at that point I, I wasn't sure that i was even wanting to stay in Nashville, I was already getting burnt out and uh, from something that I had loved and doing. It was my dream to do that. And I had been offered a job where I'd work back in Atlanta, you know, to come back. And and that about that same time, I, I, one of my best friends um, at that time was a guy named Jack Solomon, who was married to Melba Montgomery. And I had did some some dates with Melba and Jack was a heavy session player. He was part of the A-team, and Jack got me a lot of session work, so that's what I'd quit the road to do and was doing that. And, and he was your hunting buddy? He was my hunting buddy. We lived in the woods during deer season and stuff like that, talked on the phone about every night, and uh, it was very, very close. And, yeah. uh, you know, about a year after I left Nashville, about – six years ago moved back home to my mother's home place there and uh uh it, i got a call from his daughter he had passed away and uh it was a rough deal but uh yeah we were close i mean we'd sit in a pickup truck every morning or crawled out of a deer stand many a time to go to a 10 o'clock session <laughs> in our camo outfits and go right to the studio and record till from 10 till about one o'clock and go eat something and go right back to the woods and it was man it mm-hmm. was that way and we just we loved it and what studios did you record? oh gosh did a lot of cutting at uh, pete's place there on 19th who at that time pete drake owned and um the studio got a lot of work and uh, Columbia B did a lot of work in Columbia. Uh, didn't do that much at RCA. Did a lot of work at Bradley's Barn. It uh, all that stuff with the Osmonds. Owen Bradley produced all of that. And uh, there were some of the artists that you, uh, uh, some artists that what that were that were in the in this part of the session. Uh, uh, well, of course the uh, the Osmonds was the main ones because that's who I was working for. Uh, but. Uh, you would get called for different ones. A lot of them were uh, demo work, um, you know, so many writers and stuff, and writers at MCA had on staff and writing, different publishing companies and stuff like that. And um, 
because you get you know get a lot of work with demos that mm-hmm. you know everyone run off you know play do a, a half a, knock out a half a dozen and uh, 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 some of the artists would come in and do demos and stuff maybe you know that they had written and uh, uh, did some demos with Lynn Anderson when she I think she was on Lawrence Welk at that time I can't, I'm not sure I can't remember <laughs> I can't remember worked mm-hmm. some dates with her mm-hmm. also just but it wasn't anything steady there you know there was a part of that that I didn't know about for a long long time I had a friend who um uh, co-wrote in nashville with uh one of the biggest songwriters in nashville uh that was married to uh genie seeley uh what's his name hank cochran hank cochran well this guy wrote a lot with cochran mm-hmm. and uh he would tell me about artists like uh the voice so you're not talking about Vern gosden gosden okay there you yeah go. I was, but Do- he said dolly, were, dolly is partner the one that hung that Nickname on him. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, uh, he uh, he evidently did a lot of demo work. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And so then when he passed, there were a lot of songs that he was just coming in and and demoing for Elmer Suggins or some no-name somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were toying with the idea of releasing the demos Mm-hmm. Because it was Vern doing the uh, mm-hmm. the vocal, so evidently there was a whole mountain of material mm-hmm. that was in the cans that had been done as demos. Well, are you aware that Vern had a brother? Oh, sure. Yep. And he died. They were from Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know they were from Atlanta. Yeah, they were yeah. from Atlanta, and uh, they had the first hit. Him and his brother on "Hanging On." Mm-hmm. Really? I didn't know that. Yes. I, I didn't know, know, that. know that. That was out. That was out. I was still in Atlanta playing clubs when that mm-hmm. was out. And yeah, wow. They were in California doing. Vern was on guitar. His brother was on bass, uh, doing bluegrass in in California. The first I knew about them, mm-hmm. I didn't know. I, I just assumed they were from L.A. But yeah, I, I didn't know any, them at that time. I knew of them. And the mm-hmm. work, but I did not know him at that time because yeah. I basically I was still a kid, so still in school and picking. So moving on from the Osbournes, where are we now? Well, I was deciding, hanging there, doing sessions for a couple of years, if I was going to stay or not. I'd gotten married in '69, and I had a kid, you know, and and had a son, and and uh, of course, you know, that it was probably fifty-fifty that I wasn't going to go, you know, because her family was all there in Nashville. And I got a call from Cal Smith, which I had been friends with because I had the group we had. We did all the troubadour material because we had a swing band in Atlanta and very popular. And uh, club we played in was like a Texas dance hall. And it was packed from the night we opened it. And four nights a week, and we did a lot of Western Swing stuff, and people loved it, and it was called a Cactus Club. And uh, so uh, that was a place I'd been offered to go back to. And then so Cal called me, and uh, I had went to the awards show in 75. He had got the song and record of the year that year for Country Bumpkin. Mm-hmm. And he called me, and he said, uh, I've uh, – bought a bus 
and MCI, brand new bus, and Loretta's bought one, and Conway's bought one, and and uh, MCA's want me to put a, my own show together and go on the road because he was just doing singles, working a lot of touring with Conway and Loretta mm-hmm. as a single, mm-hmm. and Loretta's band that was backing him up and that kind of thing, and he said they they want me to get away from that and start my have, form my own group and do my own thing, and he said I. Well, know if you would be interested in taking care of that for me. I don't want to do nothing but go on the bus and sing. I don't want to do nothing else. And so I said, well, you know, he said, I already hired a driver. And uh, when the bus is done, he's going to fly out and pick it up. And it was all those buses were built out in North Dakota. And uh, so... Uh, we traveled, so I said yes, and you know, hired, put a group together, and and put the show together, and we had to travel in a couple of cars for a couple of months, and then the bus come in, and then we hit the road, you know, in the bus, and that's where I stayed for six and a half years. And uh, well, I didn't realize you were there that long, then. Yeah, so, six and a half years. Did you tour with Dolly and Porter? Yes, and worked some with them with the Osmonds and Dolly. She was just getting started and all that, but Dolly, uh, 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 which is something that people kind of astounded to find out, but didn't know because a lot of these things, you know, they were just, that was our life. It was just like everybody else don't talk that much about things that goes on in their life. Well, Dolly, because I did the, it was an early morning show on WSM radio there in Nashville, which that's the station that the Opry was broadcast mm-hmm. on. Well, it was a big local station. And Ralph Emery had an early morning show, five days a week, come on at like 5 o'clock in the morning for an hour. And I used to do that show playing a lot. And WSM Studios there is where Porter and Dolly's TV show mm. was filmed. Mm. And, of course... Uh, anybody, anybody familiar with a game show called uh, Wheel of Fortune? Mm-hmm. Pat Sajak was the weatherman at that time, wow. and I got to know Pat. Wow! And he had just left his job at Howard Johnson's. He was a desk clerk. <laughs> 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 he was the he was the night desk clerk at Howard Johnson's. Wow! And I. <laughs> I told him, I said, well, man, you've made a step up. You're doing yeah, the really. weather. Yeah. And he'd come That's on good. do that early morning weather. Great guy. Sharp guy. Very mm-hmm. sharp. And uh, <laughs> But Dolly wound up being, she just fell in love with my our son because we took him everywhere we went. And she said, anytime you guys want to have a, you and your wife want to have a date night or something, just bring him and babysit. She said, I'll babysit him. And then that's what wow. she did. Yeah. And, Isn't that something? Yeah. That's, and, that's something. I think Amber was, told us a few stories about getting babysit by somebody. I can't remember who it was now, but. Uh, I, oh, I'd have to think about that a minute. I don't, maybe I, it was one. I don't know, not Wanda Jackson. Have we officially said that Amber's his daughter? No, we have not said that, but we alluded been, to it earlier. She's been uh, on the show here. She has, now, yes. Proud of her. Very proud mm-hmm, of her. Yeah. She was my. Oh, she's. She, a, she was my uh, sidekick. Growing up, I just, you know, and as she got a little bigger, of course, we used to ride along in the car when she was growing up, and, and she'd sing in the radio, and we'd sing harmony in the car, riding together. I took her with me everywhere I went and wound up taking her 
when I finally went to work with Loretta, I took her on the road. She talked, she about, was, yeah. she well, talked you, about that. Yeah. About four years, mm-hmm. three or four years mm-hmm. old, I was taking her. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're segueing now from, okay. from comedy to Loretta. Is that sure. the next? Is yeah. that the next step? Yeah, that would be the next step. Yeah. So tell me about how that happened. Uh, she called me on the phone. <laughs> That's, she's another artist. Did she go, hey, Miss Loretta? Hey, Loretta. <laughs> Could she, be a country she, song there. She just said, this is Loretta. I, I was shocked. I had known Loretta for years. Um, of course, when you do package shows, and package shows, people that mm-hmm. listening that don't know what that, I don't know how much of them they even do today, but back then it was nothing to be mm-hmm. go out and they may be four or five artists big artist on the same show mm-hmm. and yeah. that was a package it packaged a lot of artists together and yeah. you'd get to know those people yeah. and and it could be anybody mm-hmm. and and let me inject sure my first package show i went to was about 1963 at the national guard armory in tampa florida and on that package was Ray Price and the Cherokee Cowboys, yeah. uh, Connie Smith, who had out once a day, yeah. uh, Moon Mulligan from wow. over here, and, yeah. and Flatt and Scruggs, Flatt and Scruggs were on that package that was show. A, that'd be a good show. Mm-hmm. That'd be a great oh, yeah. package. That'd be a great show. Absolutely. And, show. and those type things, that was the thing that was done then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They wasn't that, that many solo places it was usually package shows you know get something for everybody mm-hmm. and um so that's the way you met her like when you were a cow when i was with uh, uh no i met her when i was with uh bob sunny i what time i went to work with cal i'd already known loretta because bob and sunny was on the osmonds was on mca and loretta was on the mca mm-hmm. of course oh, yeah. at that time when i it was when I went to work with, with the Osborns. It was still Decca, mm-hmm. yeah. And MCA had bought it, and yeah. Yeah. that's when it, the label changed. While I was with them, it changed mm-hmm. to MCA. It was hard to get used to because Decca had been around so mm-hmm. long. Oh but, yeah, yep. But that's that's how I got to know. We worked some shows with Loretta touring and stuff, and that's how I got to know so, her. So, so she called you. She called me at home celebrating my son's. Uh, birthday <laughs> and I just happened to be there when the phone rang and and uh, her uh, bass player had quit and uh, decided to go back to Ohio and had turned his notice in and she didn't work in the winter time she they had a place in Hawaii and she would go back they'd quit about the f- second week in November and wouldn't go back till March, so wow, uh, which worked out fantastic for me and Jack because that was right before deer season, <laughs> <laughs> and I, it it was perfect yeah. for me and uh, and duck season. And I I was you know I was still doing comedy, and again I had to make a decision. I told my wife I said I wasn't didn't see this coming, and um. It was, you know, I said, I, I, I hate to turn this down. Yeah. Because it was, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, it was, you know, good money and, and I didn't have to think about it. And I was still trying to get everything I had work and was, and was getting some, you know, making very decent money, you know, because of the people that was handling me. Because mm-hmm. I had a couple of agencies in town 
the guys that had been over at Top Billing, which is the agency that Loretta and uh, owned, uh, United Talent was the name of their agency. Mm-hmm. And they, they were the biggest in town at that time. So I was getting a few dates there. So uh, They would, uh, the, the country music TV shows mm-hmm. would typically have a comedian on there. Uh-huh. All mm-hmm. of them pathetic, yeah. frankly. But, but, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, uh, what a, I don't remember there being a, a segment on the package shows where they had a comedian. Did they ever? Did did they ever give a comedian a segment in the package shows? Once and a blue moon. At that time, the only, what I'd say, country comedian, per se, was uh, Jerry Clower. Mm-hmm. Ah. Yep. And Jerry was pretty popular, and there was a, they was a couple of other guys around. Yeah. Did, did Minnie Pearl travel? Did she did some uh, stuff? But that was early she days. did. She did some. Yeah, you know, he all come along, mm-hmm. and um, you know, she did some off of he haul like most of the other people did. You mm-hmm. know, because mm-hmm. they would just you know do that like you would do right. any other sitcom right. show. You yeah. know, they'd do it about yeah. three months mm-hmm. part of the year and mm-hmm. take a hiatus and come back the last half mm-hmm. because they do twenty six shows. Mm-hmm. Because 52 weeks in a year, they'd shoot 26, and then the other 52 days, the other half yeah. weeks, they'd just rerun right. those. Right. Just start loop them. Yeah. And start over. So, were, you, were you on Hee Haw? Did you ever do anything on Hee Haw? Uh, as a stand-up? Or ba- play, play bass for Oh, backup? did a lot of them. Did you? Okay. Yeah, did yeah. a lot of them. And uh, <clears throat> uh, as a matter of fact, uh, still getting residuals today. Really, from a lot of stuff because of the so many companies since mm-hmm. then, you know, sprang up doing right. TV shows and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, uh, they use tapes and use stuff putting together mm-hmm. shows. And yeah. so you so, uh, you joined uh, Loretta's coal miners. Yeah, uh, yeah. I decided to go ahead and, and take the plunge, so I had to I had to let the stand up the deal go yeah you know and wow. uh anyway I, that's pretty good I, I made the decision i did what i did so try not to look back you yeah. know yeah well you know dennis we're just about out of time you i know you had something else you wanted to ask to kind of wrap up with right did you do you remember yeah. what that was um uh, so after uh, after loretta you really didn't do anything in music as far as being on the road regularly with a band or something like that? Uh, no. Uh, myself and the, some of the coal miners did a, a few stuff spotty here and there just to, you know, get together right. and pick some. But but now there's something in the works. I wanted you to talk about that. Uh, well, we're doing a uh, – since uh, Loretta had passed, and we had talked to her about two weeks before she passed, and uh, – course she'd always stayed in touch and she had sent word that she wanted to see us and so we went and uh, a friend of hers that had traveled with the Conway show after Conway died they did a legacy tour and this girl was part of the she played Loretta on the Conway show so uh, we have formed a legacy tour with her. Her name is Emily Pullman, and and the coal miners and uh, all of us played with coal, the original guy, not the original guys that started, but but 
all of us have been there 20 plus years mm-hmm. and uh, great players and uh, and she does the the gowns she's got all her gestures I mean she just becomes Loretta and she did it with Conway's show yeah until it decided to stop doing that show mm-hmm. after about three or four years and mm-hmm. so it's uh, the the website's up and it's called always Loretta and it's uh, uh, looking to be pretty good deal everything's working out fantastic we just started and worked a couple of trial dates and mm-hmm. it's creating a lot of buzz so you think they'll do a national kind of tour or oh absolutely what? sure we got agent we all everything is down we rocking and rolling any dates in texas there will be I'm sure. uh, they will be there's not any set right now we've done okay. a couple in kentucky okay and uh, uh, I think the agency said they had six uh, buyers that were hanging on, waiting to get set dates. I don't know where they're at um, uh, because until the website got put up, which I think it went up yesterday, and uh, there's information on there. I haven't seen it, but I hear it. It's great. And uh, so uh, I'm going to come see you. So we're ready to rock and roll. I hope everybody, when they sees it and finds out about it, comes out and sees us. So cool. they'll, uh, I think they're going to enjoy it because yeah. uh, the reaction we've got so far has just been fantastic. So Very the people good. that the same people that put together the Kenny Rogers legacy mm-hmm. is the people that's doing this. And uh, Very good. and they've been going strong since Kenny passed right. his his original group and mm-hmm. I think it's somebody that's his family or something in the family that's doing Kenny I hear it's great right. and they're doing good stuff so well we wish you well and I, yeah. I can't tell you I how much it. I, I appreciate this so much oh man. yeah it is we appreciate great. you being on here yeah I, I enjoyed it thanks for having me yeah, it's been a lot of fun been a lot of fun well folks we'll see y'all on the next one adios thanks for listening to the big show with Andy Gallo and Country Jam. This has been a Unicap Media presentation.